Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hi, I'm Conan Librarian, and I don't have a podcast. I do, however, like most of us, have the need for a place to store, organize, customize, and create my tabletop campaigns, thoughts, and ideas. That's why you should check out ObsidianPortal.com, customization that will match any need you have, a fantastic community, and an experience in and of itself that will get your players engaged, not just during the session. ObsidianPortal.com. Your players don't just stay at the tavern. Why should your game just stay at the table? ObsidianPortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So we are very excited to be boldly going where this show has never gone before. But before we crack on to tonight's topic, it's the obvious low-hanging fruit joke. Like, it's got to it's gotta be in there. But that's before we get into that, as always, my illustrious co-hosts, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening, sirs. How are things this evening? Things are very good. I am excited. I mean, it, I don't personally drink Rattachino. I am more likely to drink prune juice because it's a proper warrior's drink. But I am very happy to be here and ready to talk Star Trek tonight. Prune juice. I don't even know huh? what the hell that is. Do you not know the Wharf reference? The Wharf reference from Next Generation, yeah. I actually did not remember it until you all just said the Wharf reference, and now it yeah. popped into my head. Fantastic. <laughs> all I was picturing was the old man drink and you proclaiming it. With, That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Hey. How about you, Glenn? How are you doing tonight, sir? I, where does, I saw the pictures of you in the uh, in the Washington uh, Museum the, of Aeronautics and Space and Technology and whatever the name of that museum happens to be. Air, Air and Space Museum. That was that yesterday. One. That one right there, yeah. We're still just outside of D.C. staying in Greenbelt National Forest and Park, which is right by or near the Greenbelt Metro stop, believe it or not. And hmm. we ride the train into the city. We spent the last three days looking at stuff. I'm exhausted. My legs are sore. My shoulders are tired of the backpack. But it's been hmm. a blast. Today we went to the Smithsonian's Museum of Natural History. Beautiful. Which was a whole lot of fun. And we even did the extra of going through, basically, in the butterfly plants area, they have a big 
butterfly room where you're walking through and they've got flowers and plants that they've imported to go with the butterflies from all over the world. So stuff like you'll see monarchs, but there's the kinds of butterflies you don't see unless you go to the Amazon and everywhere else. Yeah. And then we went and saw the cherry blossoms before we called it a day on our final day in DC. Thanks. Yeah. I'm going to chat about some Star Trek adventures with you dudes and then I'm going to pass out. Nice. I like it. I like it. Did you see the Hope Diamond? That sounds Diamond? like a plan. Yeah. I did. I got a picture of the Hope Diamond. We scored the Hope Diamond in the last couple of minutes. Like we're in the gemstone section and they say, the museum is closing in 15 minutes. And I'm like, whoa, let's go. And went to check out the Hope Diamond. <laughs> we also clear, got, and we also saw Rhea Antoinette's earrings. They're now set in a modern setting because the old setting is no longer available, but it's the same. To <laughs> be clear, when Glenn said he scored the Hope Diamond, he didn't have gone <laughs> with it like Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. No, I am not a cat burglar or a fine art thief. If I attempted to steal anything out of that museum, I'd just wind up in jail within in jail. like minutes within moments yeah. i might just yeah. teleport there automatically i'm not sure it, just, yeah. it wouldn't yeah. work i would if that were the case i would hope that you'd get out early that's oh, you, don't okay. have, you don't have to worry too much i gave up i gave up theft for the most part in my spent youth long long ago <laughs> and, <laughs> didn't we all right at least that's what we tell the authorities so on to youth. other topics Statue limitations boys i'm gonna, Statue I'm gonna of limitations yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> i didn't I'm reveal any details bro <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to steal the episode back from the from the depths oh. that they are that they're currently in, and let's start with kind of what is going on here at Tabletop Journeys. And let's launch why, ourselves into it. Why are exactly launch ourselves into why are we talking Star Trek Adventures? This sort of was born out of the OGL D and D controversy that came out at the beginning of the year. As you all know, we used to talk a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. We had huge feature segments where we talk about. Dungeons Dragon core rules. It was, used to be part of our show open where we would specifically lean into the fact that we were talking a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And when that all happened, we took a step back and said, you know what? We are going to deprioritize our D&D content for right now. We were already right headed that way, to be fair. Yeah. We were just taking yep. a slower route to bringing more content in. Yeah. We were talking a lot of things that weren't D&D, but we were also like our Patreon actual plays were still running. We were leading, we, we were doing were a one D&D actual play. That yeah. was our main. So, we were still responding to the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and now we are not doing that. We're like leaning away from the 800-pound gorilla in the room, right. which if there's an 800-pound gorilla in your room, frankly, you probably want to be leaning away from them, just pointing that well, out. We might still interact with the gorilla periodically. It's right there. Sure. You can't always get around it. but Yeah, absolutely. All that to go ahead and say, though, we started looking for a new system, and that's when we came across the 2D20 system put out by Modifius, and specifically Star Trek Adventures, written by... Michael Desmuke, who's been on the show, and Jim Johnson, who hasn't been on the show yet, but will be hopefully soon. We've been diving into this, and honestly, getting into some sci-fi content has been really nice as we put the finishing touches on our last book, so firmly, uh, firmly D&D fantasy book, as we put the final touches on that. Leaning into some sci-fi content has been, has been really nice and rewarding for me, personally. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of how we got where we are today. How about you, Lunica? My part of the tabletop journey's Star Trek journey starts a little bit before that. Not quite a retcon, more of a precursor series, so to speak. I My history with Star Trek has been vast and their role-playing games. I played Star Trek FASA quite a lot. Actually had a great conversation with old friend and friend of the show, Sean Finlayson, back in the day where we played FASA. Him, his brothers, I believe his mom played with us. I know she was our DM and D for a long time as well. So very frequently played Star Trek. In the in the late nineties or in early two thousands, I played the last unicorn games version a lot. Yeah. You uh, were in one of those at my bachelor party. 
Yep. I was planning to run that at, at the bachelor party. COVID. Nephew COVID. I ran when I first moved back to Connecticut. One of the first things I did was start was restart a game group with my old friends and gamers who were back in Connecticut. Glenn, his wife, my buddy, Chad, who's currently a patron as well. And uh, I tell you, we played that game and, and had a blast. It didn't last as long as I wanted to because life, families, all of us were parents, all of us were working <laughs> full time and crazy life. But it was a good time. It was a great time. Fast forward to last summer, and patron and friend of the show, Scott Core was talking to me about possibly running Star Trek. And I think he wanted to play it, and I think he knew the way to convince me to do that was to say, oh, we could split time GMing it and and that. And next thing I know, I had bought the starter set and was looking at getting into it and learning it so I could play a little bit locally. Learned a little bit about the game at that time and said, we need to do something with this on the show. So in my head, this started last summer. As I learned more and planned more, I started building a campaign concept that I was working on. And my goal at that point, I'd say as early as September, was to get this as an actual play for the show. Even back then, started talking with Michael Desmute back in November, so a well before the OGL, about plans for that. And at that point, I was talking about just running the game for the Patreons, possibly doing some stuff there. Michael had reached out and spoke with me about the game, wanted to know how I was finding learning the game and how I was liking what I was reading. And what I was finding out was awesome. Fast forward, OGL crisis. That's when it was like, hey, guys, we need to move this to the front burner. And we need to do something different than what we were doing. And I've got the great I've got a great idea for what that would be. And that's when I said, hey, let's look at the D20 system. It's really smooth. It's really narrative, which fits right into our realm. And uh, Star Trek, who doesn't love Star Trek in, in this group? We all love Star Trek. It was almost a no-brainer fit. And because it was so vastly different than the sword and board fantasies that we were doing, it was a great departure without feeling like we're just doing a different kind of D&D. That's not a bad thing to do a different kind of d and I'm not trying to cast dispersions, but I wanted to do something vastly different. And I know that was a thought that we all had going into this is really let's do something that's fun, that's narrative, plays to our likes and our strengths and the other part of our hobby that we don't really get to exercise as much. So that's a precursor series to where we ended up with, but definitely fueled by the OGL crisis and kerfaffle, but energized really by the patrons uh, of this show and the excitement on with our Twitter community and the Facebook group and just the engagement we've had regarding this game. It's, I would have said in years past electric, but this goes beyond electric. This this is warp speed kind of energy. Like we've boogie boogie. Yeah. We've got good stuff going on here. It is really crazy to see every time we post that we are going to be talking Star Trek or that we're going to be running Star Trek or anything like that. How many comments we get on Twitter and on Facebook by people saying, yes, we love that game. It's impossible to go ahead and find a game that's running. How do I get in? There have been numerous people that have come up to us to ask how to get into our game, which we've pointed them directly to our Patreon, and they have actually subscribed to go ahead and play in this game. So that's been which uh, is awesome. That's been pretty hot. Yeah. Other people that want to play in Star Trek game, patreon.com slash TT Journeys. And it's perfect the way that it's set up with the way that the game is built, because you don't just play one main character. You have your face character, your command crew, but then you also play extras. So everybody yeah. can always be involved and you can really have a rotating cast. So even if 28 of our Patreons want to play, 
it's okay because in six to eight man groups, different members of the crew show up for different scenes and different missions, and it's great. Yeah. For me, I've been playing a little catch up because we were all looking in different directions when the OGL crisis started, and I've been digging into Savage Worlds and Nova. And those look pretty cool, too, and we might do something on them later. But since then, I've been playing catch-up on Star Trek Adventures as Lee Winika and Josh have been spearheading it, and it's pretty hot. And I'm super yeah. proud of the work they've gotten done on it so far. We are super proud of the work that we have done on it so far also. And I know you've been digging a lot into Lumen also, right? That was the Nova game. Nova is the first game that, Lum- that introduced the Lumen engine. Ah, okay. And that's why I picked it. But then once I started reading it, I really enjoyed it too. I'm thinking about, this is going to be around the subject, but I'm thinking about working on yourselves and two other guests from other shows that were going to be involved in that other actual play that we don't get to to run a four-man group for that at some point for a short, and then we could go over the game and talk about it and stuff. It'll be cool. That'd be good. I would love the shard to go ahead and come back. And I think that Lumen or Nova would be a fantastic way to go ahead and do that. I think that there are several kind of sci-fi systems out there that uh, that are interesting, but the 2D20 system itself, the way that it infuses its narrative flow and its mechanical flow is really hot. Let me just kind of give a, like a brief overview on what the 2D20 system is for folks that aren't familiar. So it's it is a it's called 2D20 because for the most part, your player is going to be starting at a base of rolling 2d20 for any particular challenge. It's a roll low system. So you're going to have a target rating that you have to roll under to go ahead and succeed. And then the number of successes that you get, because you can add dice into your dice pool, add d20s into your dice pool as things go along, right? If in Star Trek, for example, like if you have a ship, if you have a particular item, if you are of a particular rank, if you are all these different things can add into your dice pool. And then the when you roll a challenge, the game master sets a difficulty rating and then you have to achieve that number of successes and that's that's really it's nuts and bolts where the 2d20 sits there's a lot of variations on that we're going to do an entire show on the concepts of threat and momentum and stuff like that so we're not going to get too deep into those tonight but that is at its core what the 2d20 system is built on so that's kind of where i want to start is how that system allows you to really open the door to the narrative and louis i know that you worked through the starter set already we've already recorded that the two sessions of the starter set with our patreons how did that work out like how did the system with that as light and agile as it is, how did that flow into the narrative setting for, and specifically in a Star Trek game? It was really good. And I will add this one thing about the Star Trek game. It is a set of mechanics that fit the Star Trek shows that we watch on television. And that's what really separates it from previous Star Trek role-playing games. FASA was basically a battle simulation for the ships. It had other bells and whistles, could do other things, but where it started and the core of it was, this is a ship battle game. Last Unicorn Games was effectively a Star Trek housing or scene or cover on playing D&D. So you got to play in the Star Trek world. You got to use Star Trek names, characters, devices, things like that, and play adventures, but it didn't always feel like the Star Trek shows we watch. While they had mechanics that could mirror certain things and it did lots of things fairly well, it didn't quite get to the level of this is the kind of show I watched. It didn't feel like an episode of the TV shows. The Decipher game 
for the most part, carried on where Last Unicorn Games took over. While it was a different system, its mechanics effectively did much of the same thing. It didn't right. really mirror the narrative that we see in the show. These mechanics mirror that narrative. And that 2D20 system is a lot of the reason. The conceit of this game is that, at least if you're playing the Federation, and certainly, and that's where the game started, though there are other options now, but where the game started, and especially if you're playing Federation characters, Starfleet officers are exceptional people. Right. They are the best of the best from this section of the galaxy. Like the hundreds of people out of millions that are in Starfleet from Earth are the best Earth has to offer. They are so competent that the normal things don't have to be dealt with or rolled. They aren't problems, and that is the conceit of the game. This is not a situation where you're rolling to open a door or you're rolling to communicate with the ship next door. And that's where the mechanics here of the 2D20 system really come in. If there's no chance of failure or there's no impact of failure, the key word being impact of failure, the game assumes it's a success. The game assumes, unless there's a complication, given enough time, a Starfleet officer will always succeed. So if you're flying your ship and you're just trucking along and it's turn left, you don't have to roll ever because with no complications, you will always succeed at that. The ship is built. You are competent. Done. If Otherwise, the Enterprise would be running into asteroids every other episode <laughs> right, exactly. randomly because yeah. somebody rolled a one while they were piloting. Exactly. Right, which makes total sense. So once you have a complication, that's where the GM gets to set that difficulty. This is a complication that requires one success. This is a complication that requires two successes or three successes. That gets set by the GM, and this is where things get really fun. Before they assign the success number or the number of successes required – it's narrative. Player says, I want to fly at top speed through this asteroid field. The GM then says, describe your process or some version of that. Player says, I'm the best pilot to, in my year at the academy. I do all kinds of daring loop-to-lose, and I'm hitting the buttons while winking at the person at the op station. That's a daring role. That's one of your main attributes, right? So that's going to be factored into your ability to succeed. You're using your con score, that's a discipline, to add to that, and that's how you determine that success. You add your daring number, you add your con number, that sets that player's success number. So they have to roll under that total number because they're high daring, high con. Let's say that's a 14, they now have to roll under a 14. GM says, yeah, that's pretty good given these con conditions, given your relative skill or, or whatever it is. One success is all that's necessary. Player then has 2d20. They roll them as long as they get one of those under that 14 we spoke about. They are now successful at piloting at top speed through that. The yeah, beauty well, we is, and this is what Josh yeah. spoke about, is because you're on a Starfleet ship, the ship actually has a die. It has a score to, to, to help with that activity. So it has a success number itself, and then that die gets rolled for the ship. Sometimes it's that player. The way I run it, I usually have one of the other players roll for the ship. I could run that's that hot. role. Yeah, Ooh, I like that. DM. 
but I like to get as many of the players to roll towards successes as possible. So generally, whoever's not in the action, they roll for the ship. Other players can then aid that situation. Let's say the person at one of the other stations knows what's going on with the asteroid field, so they're taking an action to help knock additional asteroids out of the path. They now take their attribute, let's say reason, and their discipline with that, science. They have, say, a 13 is their their challenge, their number that they have to roll under. They get to roll a die to help. Now you've got the player rolling two dies. You've got somebody rolling for the ship, and you've got another player aiding. Four different D20s are being rolled to get the one success necessary. Odds are, guess what? Federation win. You make it through that asteroid field. So since you brought up the help action and bringing in another D20, plus that whole concept of how you roll for a task and, and choose your dice. And I know that there's other ways to obtain additional dice, like spending momentum or mm-hmm. threat, which we're not going terribly into right now. <laughs> right, Basically, yeah. You can make your situation worse yeah. in order to get more dice if you want to, which is a really hot mechanic. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's um, a really hot mechanic. <laughs> but where I'm headed with this, as the noob of the three of us who's trying to understand the rules, and you've already run it, let me pick your brain for a second. Sure. Because I remember it said that the maximum number of D20s that can be rolled towards a task is five. Does the, But I, I wasn't sure about this because the helper action was introduced after it told me that does the helper die count towards the five or is it i can generate five either through momentum threat equipment etc and then the additional person would be a sixth die so i'm gonna do something very uncharacteristic to me i'm gonna punt while josh tries to look that up because honestly (laughs) my experience with the two sessions i've run and the number of actual plays i've seen is i haven't seen five get rolled yet what I often see is three or possibly four, and then I see the other things going on. So my assumption is it is you as an individual don't roll more than five and five die for a given thing between whatever talents you may have or other things. There are other character abilities or attributes – or not attributes, but there are other character things that you get during character generation where you can right. choose. That can or when you spend a determination, it automatically counts as a die that rolled a one, so you get two successes. But that yeah. does count against your five. I'm not answer, sure about this one. Yeah, like I said, I'm pretty sure the answer is it's the five. You can't roll more than five because the ship always rolls, and anybody helping should always be able to help. There are That's limitations. Kind of what I- thought but i wasn't yeah. sure there are limitations on help which are very gm based so my understanding is for a gm can say only one person gets to help but maybe more can depending on the nature of the question and we are talking about simple tasks not necessarily extended tasks here something we'll get to in future shows but for a general task such as the example we gave i would say you can roll up to your maximum that maximum of five you spoke about and then other people will be able to roll whatever they have. But generally, I haven't seen much more than – and honestly, it was the final encounter in the, when that many dice got rolled where somebody actually bought the extra dice to get four. And when they did make that purchase, it was pretty memorable. There was a great scene. Can't wait till the audience gets to hear that. 
the actual game and the system design was by Nathan Dowd. He's mm-hmm. the one who credited with writing the original rules as from the core book. The current line editor, which Josh mentioned, Jim Johnson, he came on sometime after that. Not sure exactly what, but Jim Johnson did work on much earlier projects before he became the line editor. He's currently the line editor and in charge of the entire SDA, STA line. And Michael, who we interviewed earlier this year, he's been a freelance writer for some time. He actually operates the continuing missions webpage the number one fan site for a star trek adventures role-playing game as well as co-leads with jim the continuing conversations youtube show on studio tempo yeah so that actually that gets me exactly to where i wanted to go next and that was to talk a little bit about how to get into star trek adventures like where is the entry point that you want to go ahead and start we talked a lot about this at the beginning of the show about what our various attack vectors were into the game to go ahead and start learning and digesting the rules so that we could go ahead and have these interview these episodes coming up over the course of the next month and change here and so I think that the first thing that I would suggest is even if you are either going to be game mastering or just playing in the game the first two things that you should pick up are the storyteller's guide and the player's guide, right? I love the fact that they split out that there's a game master's guide and a player's guide, right? I think that's a really, really great idea. Something that they seem to have done better with these books than other companies who have split that out just as an observation in the past. I think So I think that's a really, really great idea to go ahead and the way that they laid it out, where the Game Master's book is primarily concerned with that behind-the-screen execution of stuff, and the Player's Guide is mostly concerned about how to go ahead and build a character and what's that character need to be like. So that's thing one, is that those two books, I think, are going to be your best friend. Glenn, you talked a little bit about trying to get in through the core book, which is an right. older book and kind of the first yeah. book that kind of came out in the game system. But the entry points for that one was a little tougher. Yeah. yeah, it has a player section and a GM section as opposed to a completely split book. But from what I've heard from Lee Wanika, the player's handbook and the yeah. master's guide cleaned up a lot of the language and things that I've been struggling with. But reading the core, the Star Trek Adventures core rule book, which is what it's called, the a much older document, it is a rough read. Not because it doesn't have good information in it, just because honestly it has so much information yeah. in it. And uh, they're trying to introduce you to it in bite-sized pieces, but it's complex and interwoven, so it leaves you with a lot more questions than it does answers in the beginning. Slowly but surely, a good picture did start to form. And I will say, as a huge benefit, that the examples that they give after each rule, once you decipher it and digest it and read it again if you need to, the examples afterwards really brought good clarification to it. So they did a good job of explaining it by the time it was done, but it was it's a little bit of a slog. Yeah, my experience, because, and I love the fact that there's three of us on this show, and we three of us chose three different vectors to come into STA from. Glenn, you started with the core book. Josh, you started with the player's book. What I started with was the starter campaign box set and viewing additional media. So conversations between the multitude of Facebook groups, most importantly, the Star Trek Adventures Facebook group. Links will be in the description, as well as the continuing missions webpage that I previously spoke about and the continuing conversations YouTube page, which I previously spoke about. So as I was looking through the starter box set, anything that I questioned, I could then find an episode or an article on the various blogs to support that question. So I had a very strong resource 
as well as a fairly concise method of approach. If you, and I would say if you are planning to run Star Trek Adventures, the box, the starter box set is guaranteed the must have item. Do not, as a storyteller, that's the perfect place to start. The quick start guide will help you show people how to build characters. The box set will show you how to run a game one topic at a time. And then if you need have any questions from there, simply use those resources that we're going to link to follow that up. Following that, the player's guide and the GM's guide are the next two items you want. And from there, whatever piques your interest. If you want to know more about space frames, grab Utopia Planitia. You want to know more about a given division of Starfleet? Grab one of the division books. You want to say, screw this Federation crap. I'm a Klingon. (laughs) I want to raise Targs and fight hell. Then I want to get the Klingon core rules. Or if you want to go out into the craziness, I want the Shackleton Expanse. They Hmm. really, it comes down to where do you want to start to have the information to get going and then expand where the muse takes you. Yes. That's kind of my advice for the game. Pick up yeah. those two. One's free. One, that box set is not terribly expensive. does come with pre-gen, so it's helpful. And really just explains how to run the game. And I'll be honest with you. I utilized that box set to run our pilot episodes for our actual play. Because it was so good at teaching the game. It teaches you, the game master, how to run it. And it teaches the players as they're playing how to how to do the game. How to play it. Yeah. I didn't waste yeah. a whole lot of time giving them a whole lot of down and dirty about the details. I gave them a bit of the basic mechanics like we just did in about 15 minutes. And then it was build characters. And then when we got to the actual game, it was just play the game in the scenarios, taught them how to roll the dice. By the end, they were really doing it. I have no doubt that the players that took part in those two sessions that I ran can play this game. They could go to any GM running the game, build a new character if they needed to and knock it out of the park. If you're a role player, this is your game. Now, and listening to you in the pre-discussion when you were talking about it, when we were all talking about how we approached it and, my, and the thumbs up, thumbs down, woes, etc. Your <laughs> description of the starter set, and then now again, as you spoke about it, has convinced me that I'm going to stop reading the core rule book for now, and I'm going to go to the starter set, and I'm going to go through yeah. it first. Well, well, well let me tell you this. I've got a solid understanding of the basic mechanics going through yeah. the core rule book. I'm not saying the information's not in there. It was just yeah. a little bit difficult to extract it. Here's so what, what I was writing down. And Luanik, I'll let you go in just a second, but this is yeah. I was writing this down as we were talking about this pre-show. The core rulebook is fine, and the core rulebook is a great book. It's got a lot of really great content in it. I'm going to go ahead and use an analogy, though. If you were, for the first time, going to run or play in a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition game, the first book that you would not buy is any of the 2nd edition lore material. They're great books. They're super thick, and they're, they ultimately might be helpful for what's going on in that fifth edition game, but you need something that is a little bit more distilled, something that's a little bit that's laid out a little bit more towards the thing that you're going to be doing. And that's what the player's right. guide and the game master's guide are going to give you. So, yep. there you go. Oh, and the core cool uh, rule book is full yeah. of Star Trek lore and excerpts, oh, yeah. and it's amazing. A lot of the yeah. examples actually give you examples of things that happened in real Star Trek episodes, That's, but they then break the it down by game mechanics, which is yeah. hot. I love it. It's hot. It was really um, hot. Yeah. But yeah, in the 
core rule book, the actual rules don't even start. The mechanical rules don't even start until chapter four or five. The first three chapters are all Star Trek lore, which is great. I might have put the rules in the front, but it's great. Huge amount of information. If you're not that into Star Trek or you're a recent Star Trek fan, so say you only came in at Voyager, but you don't know anything about Deep Space Nine or Next Generation or the others, there's a solid history of the Federation throughout the book in the beginning. It's an excellent resource. Let's let's be honest. There are so, there are people who are close to adulthood who are picking up this game that started with Discovery. And Ouch! Yeah, we're think old. About that. Think about that for a second. Enterprise was over in two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. Discovery okay. was the first television show in over. I think it was close to 15 years when it started airing or, and Picard, right? So there are people who lo- love Star Trek today that did not watch those series first run, period. They are doing right. what we're calling third and fourth rewatches. They are watching f- full through for the first time. And because of that, that lore can be a bit of weight to learn a new game. So that's why I wouldn't necessarily start there. But I would say this, talking about that gorilla and kind of cozying up to it a little bit, there's a reason why even though they did the traditional thing of their three core books, one of the early things they did was Lost Minds of Fandelver. They had a starter set. STA did the same thing with their starter set box because that's one of their older products, right? But they did the same thing. Learn to play the game one scenario at a time. You as a DM can learn while your players learn if everybody's brand new to the game. Works great at conventions, works great with new groups. You're walking into an F, your favorite game store. You're a brand new to town, just moved into town. Look, Glenn and I, we were military kids. We got moved around a lot in our youth, right? You move into a new town. The one thing you know is a game store is a safe space for our kind of geek. You want to play a game with people, but you don't want to jump into their existing game where they might already have big dynamics set up. You want to run something, This is that starter set's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to start the day. And I think that's an, a brilliant thing. I was asked on Twitter, or I it responded to the question, asked by Jim Johnson, actually, what would you say is the next thing that we can do at Modifius, at STA, to build engagement with this game and bring in more players who love this game? My and response is, next book. yeah. Hashtag call your boys TTJ. And Jim, with love in my heart, please call your boys TTJ. But beyond that, what I said was have a new starter set. Every couple of years, just do a starter set. Figure out whatever the plot may be, but do a new starter mission that covers the mechanics in a similar way. New story, new pre-gen characters, but maybe have this one. Yeah. Yeah, new challenges or whatever, but have it go through the same mechanical things. I said, but maybe to really separate it from the original box set so it's not covering all of the same ground, but it needs to cover the same ground, include into this one building a ship because that's the one thing that the original starter set doesn't really do. It doesn't show you how to build a ship. It gives you a space frame. It gives you shuttle frames. It doesn't actually build the ship, and it's not difficult. You build a ship in much the same way you build a character, but – 
I think that would make it give it a new experience. Maybe give you the opportunity to build in some new ship talents, some new different things that a ship could do. We've got new series, so you could advance, put it in a set it in a different timeline. Maybe bring it a little closer to the current timeline and whatnot. And I think that would be a great way to build engagement. Every couple of years, probably every three years, new starter set. Every three years, new groups could jump into this game. You could either do it as, hey, there's an advance on the existing ones, but I certainly think that's really a great idea. I think it's just build a new starter set. I love the starter set. It was a really good adventure. And let me also say this. Even though it's the building blocks of how to play the game, that module is off the chain. It is a solid Star Trek story. Really friggin' good. Really good. Like, I wish I had been able to have been a player in that box set because it is really that good. It was fun to run, really fun to run. I could see myself as a player with the decisions I would have made or could have made and loved it. If joining the Tabletop Journeys actual play games sounds like the kind of fun you're looking for, be sure to check out patreon.com slash ttjourneys where patrons of the Tabletop Journeys podcast not only get early access to all of our episodes, but they get the opportunity to play in our monthly actual play games where the dice are wild and we make every roll legendary. want to second something that you said quite a while ago actually now at this point about continuing conversations the youtube channel and show that that michael dismuke put out and i'm not just saying this because he was kind enough to go ahead and come on our show and give an awesome interview a couple of months ago yeah, but he was fantastic his channel is also fantastic it really is and like in the way that it takes what could seemingly be a pretty small concept and really attacks it from so many different angles. And I mean, between him and Jim Johnson and Al Spader and the way that, like, first of all, the Star Trek knowledge that those three cats have is remarkable. It's incredible the depth that they can go into when they're talking about a story. I absolutely wholeheartedly recommend that if you're looking to get into this game, and you're looking like I've been in the car a lot lately. I've been driving around doing a lot of stuff on the road lately. And so I've been putting continuing conversations on in the car and just like listening to it and trying to learn a lot of the stuff by osmosis. And it's fantastic. The show's just absolutely brilliant. So yeah, I really strongly endorse it. Yeah. In the TTRPG crowd, many podcast community and YouTube community, many shows are exceptionally GM and storyteller focus. One of the big complaints from Hasbro and the concerns or challenges, I would say most companies, it's just a challenge. Hasbro, it's a complaint. But one of the challenges is with tabletop games is GMs bear the brunt of the cost. They're your primary customer. You have to sell the GM, teach the GM, and leave it up to them to bring in other people. What I believe STA does differently as a product line by way of Jim Johnson is they are engaging GMs and players equally. Just as many continuing conversations are about GM focused stuff as they are about player focused stuff. And if you look at the guests that they have on that channel, Jim and Michael, they will bring in other freelance writers that have worked on various projects so they can speak with expertise and answer questions or speak to concerns or speak to knowledge within the books and the products that they've worked on. But they also bring in super fans and they are 
really good about asking about player experience. How did hmm. that work at your table? The most questions I get in my – and I talk with Michael fairly frequently and I chat with Jim on Twitter often because he is so open and so engaged with our community. And it's not videos on a website that you have to pay to watch. It is actual engagement like laughing at a joke, sharing his own joke, goofing with a with my silly memes that I put out there all the time <laughs> or what have you. It's legitimate engagement and legitimate questions about the game. But he's asking about our experiences. If you wa- listen to enough of his conversation, he talks about just like me playing the last unicorn games. He has some familiarity and I believe he played the facet games. This is a guy who lived my same star Trek role-playing journey and he's building the golden ticket. He's making the game that we wanted all the previous games to be. That's awesome. To have a fan of role-playing, a fan of the IP be in a leadership position doesn't happen nearly enough. And to have that person be as engaged and to bring in and hire writers who are engaged that are active players. He runs games. He not only builds this game, he runs game, arguably not as much as he wants to because he's got a job, but he has surrounded himself with people who care about this IP, who care about this community and care about this game and want to make the absolute best game possible. And it keeps getting better. Each book that I read gives me new ideas. Each continuing missions blog gives me new ideas. Each continuing conversation gives me so many ideas. I can't put them all into pieces. And Josh and I end up having conversations like, stop changing what's (laughs) happening. I know you just watched two episodes. You can't change it anymore. It's good. Stop monkeying with it. We'll do that second (laughs) season. And I hear you, Josh. I hear you. But the conversations are so dang good. Yeah, I know. I know you're right. We just did. We recorded an episode less than 48 hours ago where we talked about how awesome Cobalt Press was about their level of engagement and transparency with what they're doing with Project Black Flag. To my knowledge, they are not doing this level of stuff. Maybe I'm just not into that community as much as I am into this one at this point, but I don't see that level of engagement. I see they're out there and I see they do interact, but I don't see them interact. Like the folks at STA. Yeah, no, I'm on Twitter a lot. I have never had someone come out and say, hey, have you seen Cobalt's new book? Cobalt does their own stuff and their community is really great. But I've never had anybody, the way that Star Trek fans, as soon as we say that we're doing anything Star Trek, come out of the woodwork to go ahead and say, oh, that's going to be awesome. Can't wait. So we're like tribbles on a good, uh, when there's a good product, <laughs> we are like tribbles. You can't keep us down. We're tribbles in a grain silo. <laughs> Speaking of which, yesterday at the Aerospace Museum, I took a picture of a Tribble, one of the Tribbles used in the original episode. Because, yeah, they put Star Trek and Star Wars in the Air and Space Museum. Which is awesome. And right above them was a set of Spock's ears that he kept in a box that he had made on at home as a memento from the show until he passed. And then it was donated to the museum. Super awesome. Yeah. And a picture of the giant-ass model of the original star trek series enterprise that was used in the opening credits that was in there. that was hot i saw that i saw your picture of that that was hot that that's an impressive model now that we've gone into what it is that we're doing and everything i want to go into a little bit more detail about what what you all can expect on the channel and what we're going to be doing here with star trek adventures for the foreseeable future in various chunks here so first of all this is the first episode in what is going to be a multi-part 
breakdown of the current Star Trek adventure rules. Like I said, we have a couple of other episodes coming up here. We have an episode about character building. We have an episode about momentum and threat. We have an episode about values and determinations. So we're going to be diving into the core mechanics of this system in more detail to go ahead and talk about how they can be used. And we're also going to be talking a lot about how we're using them in our latest Patreon actual play, which again, like we mentioned at the front of the show, we are inviting our Patreons to our table to play Star Trek with us. We are writing an entire storyline to go along with them. So far, Lewanika and I are running games. I can certainly see that, that if this continues to go ahead and get popular, that, that we'll be doing even more sessions out there. So we're really looking forward to, to diving into that and it's going to be hot and so Lumi, can talk a little bit about the players that you've got you've done their session zero stuff to go ahead and have their characters get built which that should start airing right around the same time that our episode on character generation comes out so that's great and then like also you ran the you ran the starter set with them also and so what was the what was the framing that you did on the starter set and what's the layout for what we're calling star trek preservation which is the storyline that we put up yeah, I'm going to do my best to avoid spoilers. Please do. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so unlike the ready room where he'll tell you to stop listening, come back, and then he'll give the spoilers with all respect to Will Wheaton. That's the way you got to run that show. And I love your show, by the way, Will. So with my session zero, I did a couple things. The first thing I did was I spoke with the with the crew about the campaign in general, what we're doing with the campaign, giving them an idea of our overall theme and the setting as far as the timeline where we're set. The actual campaign will begin in Star Trek, the Star Trek timeline, 2360, I'm sorry, 2378. So it's three years following the end of Deep Space Nine and two years before the events of Star Trek Nemesis. So that's the timeline where we start. It is not where we're going to end. I also talked about the tone, and I will break with what I did with this group to talk about tone with the STA game as well, because this is a very important point that I want to make for our audience and for people hearing about this game for the first time or interested in this game. Jim Johnson spends a lot of time talking about the fact that this game is a narrative game. It is about Star Trek and about Star Trek ideals. There are facets of the game, so you can certainly take this in other directions. The rules are great, and you can go in lots of different directions, so you can veer off of the path, which is not to say this is Gene Roddenberry's original hardcore vision, because that's not necessarily the case. But the idea of Star Trek is the hope for the future, that for the most part, humanity, and by way of that, the Federation, got a lot of things right. Doesn't mean there aren't challenges, doesn't mean there aren't problems here or there, but for the most part, we've got things right. So the game is really designed with that as a principle. It flows easier, and the rules really support that style of play. Now, if you want to play something with a lot more conflict, you can certainly play things like the Shackleton Expanse. You can certainly play non-Federation characters like District 6 type characters. And certainly you have the Klingons and the Klingon core rules where you can definitely play a lot more conflict-orientated things. So there are definitely ways to branch this out. That's a tone thing that I covered in my session zero with the crew to just give them the broad strokes. We then talked about the game. Most of those, most of the conversation the three of us had tonight was what I went over with the players. So that was there. I'm probably not going to repeat that for air because we covered it well here. Just be aware of that audience. But beyond that, we went into character generation. It was just, let's build some characters. It was, what interests you? I really opened the floodgates. There's a couple really off the wall, unique characters 
<laughs> that I was able to take the overall plot line that I had in mind that Josh and I were working on, and we were able to work that around and build some things into future adventures based on the characters we have. We had an overall plot line with a few story beats pegged along the path and a lot of blank spaces. Then we let the characters get built. Then we filled in a few more spaces. Then we let the players, we talked about it, the players also built starships. They didn't build a big hero ship, which is normally what the game would do. The reason is our plot line included a hero ship already built. Three separate groups built characters at three separate times. So this crew will have access to three purpose-built by the players shuttlecraft that they can use to assist them in their various missions in various ways. And so they built those. And then each of the players built a supporting character. And on that point, Glenn talked about it earlier. I do think we need to break this overview by talking about that element of the game because we didn't really get into that in any kind of detail. Players of Star Trek Adventures not only build a main character, but they also get to build a secondary character called a supporting character. It's not built out as fully as a as a starting character, nor is it as light as an NPC. It fills that gap somewhere in between. And the purpose of that is not every character in Star Trek is in every scene in a Star Trek show. Next Generation, perfect example. Seven main characters on the bridge. Not every episode focused on all seven. Sometimes they go down to a planet. Some characters did not go to the planet. If that player is playing that doctor who has no need to go on this particular mission, though they did get Beverly Crusher in the black suit on the clandestine mission for some crazy reason. That was Yeah, but good. she almost got herself killed. So that's not maybe a great example. It's not a great example, but it's a great example of why they have the supporting character mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> so that ben, right. Beverly right. Crusher doesn't have to go down <laughs> in, in that mission. With that supporting character mechanic, a player playing the doctor could also play a security officer, or they could play a scientist who has a mission specific, or they could play a local native that they could build for, or what have you, somebody on that planet who they de deal with, or station personnel in the DS9 scenario. Maybe that supporting character is Morn, or maybe that supporting character is Elam Garrick. It's really designed to give you these alternate things so that not every character has to be in every place, thus allowing you narratively to legitimately split the party audience can't see the air quotes you can split the party because every player can still be in the next scene because it's also designed to be able to roll those supporting characters very quickly you can have some yeah. set up but if you just go into a scene and you didn't have one set up guess what you can knock out a supporting character in minutes and now everybody's still in that scene so your six players are in every scene even if they're not mm. playing their main character the best part is narratively or the way the mechanics work is the more times you revisit supporting characters they eventually gain improvements new talents they can become main characters down the road so you can build up your characters as you go and i think that's a lovely mechanic that yeah. really works well it's really it's so hot it's really hot last bit that we did was we was basically just talked about how the structure of the episodes and i'll just say this we are going to be running two game sessions a month at present that can and might increase at a later point based on number of patrons wishing to play. And the reason why we went to two a month was because we wanted as many patrons to play as possible. It will not be the same adventure run with both groups. It'll be two separate adventures run with both groups. 
Sometimes those separate adventures will be running game chronology at the same time. Sometimes they might be days or weeks ahead or behind the other one. That's more for Josh and I to figure out as we go and based on what's happening in each adventure and how we need to set up the next one. But the idea is we're going to be doing that. So roughly 20 total sessions in the first season, and then we'll see where we go from there. Since you're both running sessions and you're running separate sessions, but you're working on plot together, are you running crew on the same ship or two different ships? Ah, great question. Great question. And, <laughs> I, and I will answer that this way. It, there is one hero ship for the entire series, but there is a hero station for the entire series. And so the crew lives on the station and it's a smaller Federation starship. It's of a saber class vessel. Yeah. yeah. The players don't actually know that. Cool. <laughs> That's a secret. <laughs> you uh, cut it. Spoilers. It's a small <laughs> spoiler. They could be like, ah. And be Spoiler. all excited. It'll be great. Yeah. But the, it's a smaller ship, has a very small crew. About yeah. 40 people would be on this st- style of starship. And so the idea is at any given, different crews might be on that ship and out on a mission. Other people might be on the station or they might be taking one of those three shuttles we spoke about to do something in neighboring systems. We actually make use of some great Star Trek resources that are out there. Other things we will link here. People who join the Patreon also have access to our Discord and our Discord has a lot of these resources there as well. But there's a couple of resources that I'll mention briefly here that we're going to be utilizing to assist with running this. One of those is a page that does star dates, so we can keep track of when things happen very well. So it'll convert normal dates that we use here on Earth to star dates. So when we start episodes with captain's logs and things like that, they'll be legit numbers, which I think is very cool. Other <laughs> is a warp speed calculator. So we yeah, actually We're have geeking been, out hardcore about this, Glenn. That's for real. Like we're going yeah, deep. We're, we're, I'm in deep. <laughs> I'm in deep. There's a gravity yeah, well he here and I'm not well, even trying to escape velocity. I, I'm, I'm still playing catch up. I missed a lot of those conversations, but I'll be with you soon. I'm sure. Yeah, but there's actually an interactive galaxy map that covers all four quadrants that allows you to actually mark distances. So you like from soul system to a given place, we know exactly where on that map this is taking place in, what systems we're going to be in, the area that we're going to largely be operating in. And between that page, which gives us our total light year distance, and this other page, which does warp speed calculation, we can actually figure out how much time it would take in-game for the crews to interact and move between places so we can work on our timing that way. We also utilize the Star Trek name generator. There's tons of them out there, but we've got one for that. But yeah, we've got a lot of great resources that we're utilizing for this, but the core element is that the players will be able to navigate between, and that allowed us to be very free with what people got to build. If two people wanted to build security people, Absolutely fine. They may not be players on the same adventure mission, so we have security for both. Any position could largely be doubled, the only exception being the captain can't be doubled, the XO can't be doubled. We do have two players who are playing each of those. Sometimes they'll be on the same mission, sometimes they'll be on different missions. It allows us to be very fluid with how we run each session and allows us to not limit or restrict the players, and we love that element of it. Yeah. So for example, just, to, and again, this is going to be my old spoiler, but we're running these in April anyway. So people, so the patrons will find out soon enough. The two missions that are running in April, there's a ship mission. So half the game is going to be off on the ship with Lee Wanika. And I'm running a station mission where there is a, a conference happening on the station. And so there's some diplomatic stuff that's going on. There's a bunch of other kind of things that are happening in, in the scope of that. So that's how we're structuring things is that half the crew is going to be gone and the crew that are, and the other half are going to be doing, are contending with something else. So there's always like competing, the competing 
competing storylines. And the crew will always be different. The crew that's gone on the ship or the crew that's on one of the shuttlecraft or the crew that's on the station, that mix will always be different. And that's one of the things that we really liked about the the D&D actual play that we were doing is how it was always a different mix of players and always a different mix of characters. I thought that was a really cool element. And so I'm really glad that we were able to continue that. Without a magical MacGuffin, it's just simply okay. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's just okay. Yeah. It's just Star Trek. Magical McGuffin was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. It was. It, shake cast. it was great. It's just you don't have to. Yeah. Blue mist is what someone I used to play with called it when somebody yeah, exactly. couldn't make it. it was, there was a lot of blue mist. Blue mist somebody yeah. in and out. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say we're pumped about Star Trek content. We're pumped to be talking more about it. We're pumped for this next game that's coming up here. And we're really looking forward to be bringing you all on the journey with us. Yeah. I'll have to go so, ahead and say, uh, yeah. I was just going to say one of the things that Michael and Jim do on their show is they give their accolades to folks out there in the greater community. Something that they're very thankful for. Gratitudes. I'm sorry. That's the phrase. Yeah, gratitude. They yeah. Use. Yep. And while we're running this month of content, in addition to our actual play, I think it'd be nice to mirror that as a send up to that team. And yeah. for me personally, I want to give my gratitudes to the team at Modifius, specifically uh, Jim and Michael, who I've been in conversations with a, a lot over the last couple of weeks in prep for his upcoming visit to Tabletop Journeys as well. He's even talking about trying to make arrangements to get down to our local game store to possibly even run a game down here sometime in the next couple of weeks or, or as well. And I'm really hoping that we can pull that together. And if we can't, that's fine. But it would be awesome to meet him in person and be able to do that. I think that'll be a great time. They are so awesome for this community. They are a model for what game companies need to be and that is how i think game companies need to move forward is be like jim michael al and the rest of the folks who are doing such great work at modifius cool right and And when when you're what about your gratitude before we let you go what about your gratitude Oh, that's it. I'm grateful. You, you picked the low-hanging fruit for the thank yous. That, that's oh yeah. So my gratitude is my gratitude is for my mom introducing me to Star Trek all the years those years ago and giving me the one of the great loves of my life being this specific IP and this genre in general wouldn't be here with you guys had she not started me on that path. She's she, like she was an amazing woman. Yes, she was. All right, Glenn. What do you got? Some some thank yous and some gratitude. So I'll take a stab at it. I would be very thankful to Pat. May he rest in peace. And the Citadel Game Store in Groton, though it started in New London at the end of the New London shopping plaza there where Burlington Coat Factory is, if you're from the area. That was a haven for me since I was like 14 and really advanced me through role-playing and helped me get to where I am today. And then obviously the thank yous that Lee Winika said, but I don't want to repeat them to all the folks over at Modifius and the people making... Star Trek Adventures for helping us get to where we're going. And my my gratitude, my thanks would be to you two gentlemen for spearheading this while I've been doing other things and should be a good time. Cool. Yeah. So my thank yous are going to be to, so we're airing this in, in April. We had a two months of really killer interviews, one month uh, featuring BIPOC creators, one month featuring awesome female creators in the tabletop role-playing game space. So my thank you is going to be to all of them. We answered the call. We went out to them and said, hey, we want to do a thing. We want to highlight you. Come on. Let's talk about the awesome thing that you're doing in the community. We love all the folks that we do interviews with, but but in particular, these last two months have just been absolutely amazing interviews. And so I'm really glad that we did that. And my gratitude, I'm going to go a little bit personal here. I know you guys both know I haven't 
mentioned this on radio, but mom was in the process of moving to assisted living. Today, we placed her in her new permanent home. She's happy. We're all happy that she's healthy and safe. And so I'm really, uh, really thankful to uh, the crew up here in Maine and the crew over at, at her new space to go ahead and help make this happen. Uh, they made this very painless, very quick, very smooth, and we're really grateful for that. So, I'm so glad that all came together for y'all, Josh. Yeah. That is great news. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, like when you're in it, it feels like it's taking forever. But now that it's done and we can step back, it's like, it really didn't take that long and it really wasn't that painful. So it was just fun. So love your mom. And I share that, that gratitude for those folks yeah. for giving mom a safe place. Yeah, yeah. No small amount of stress in my life because I was worried for her and knowing that she's yeah. in a safe place makes yep. it a lot better. Yep. All right. All that to go ahead and say Star Trek, Star Trek coming for the next month. And you're going to be hearing it on our actual play Tuesdays for quite a while to come. Cause as we said in here, there's going to be a bunch of content coming out here. Really looking forward to that. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with, with more Star Trek until then we'll talk to y'all later. Thanks so much, everybody. ID, I see live long and prosper y'all. Thank you for joining us. This has been tabletop journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await.